0: You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Baptist and Pleasant Green Road. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org. Now, here's our pastor with this week's sermon. Thank you, choir. What an important message. When we start looking at what grace and forgiveness look like, realize that Christ has taken that on and defeated death, and won a a victory on our behalf, um, not just at the cross, but at the tomb that that was empty at the end of three days. That we can go back to a spot where they say they laid the one that we call Savior, and He's not there. Isn't that good news? And it's not because we don't know where He's at. Scripture teaches us that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And we go back to and look at some of the passages in Acts and realize that even with the, the stoning of Stephen, what did Stephen see, see is he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And it's just an amazing thing to think of what God has done on our behalf, the grace that he's poured on us. The forgiveness that He's offered us because the truth is that if we were doing inventory of the last 24 hours of our life we'd realize that we have messed up and anything short of perfection requires something so that we can get into the presence of God or have a relationship with God so even if we just go back 24 hours we realize that we need a savior We need forgiveness. and Those that have accepted Christ as their Savior understand that even though they may have messed up within the last 24 hours or however long before that, we realize that for those of us in Christ, that our sin is covered. And that we stand before a holy God able to come into His presence with confidence. With a confidence that's only there because of what Jesus has done not a confidence that's on our own. I don't know how confident you are. You may be very confident in a lot of things. I know I've run across some folks that are extremely confident about their golf game. I've, I've run across some people that are extremely com- confident about cartwheels. I have a video, but I'm not, I'm not showing you the video but I saw a glimpse of a video from down in the children's area this morning, and somebody that was standing up on the stage a few minutes ago sharing testimony um, did one. <laughs> it was awesome looking, and, uh, and I'm not even going to try. It's, that would be ugly looking. So, um, so there's all kinds of reasons to have confidence And we've been in the book of Nehemiah. We're kind of finishing the series. And I realize it's not the finish of the book because there's a lot left after chapter six in Nehemiah. There's a lot that happens. There's the reading of the law and a repentance that takes place in the nation. But leading up to that, we we came with Nehemiah to this rebuilding of the wall and calling the people back to follow who God is. And the whole idea of, of the nation realizing not just their sin and why they ended up in exile, but realizing that the walls needed to be built and their hearts and their minds needed to be turned back toward God. And that was what Nehemiah wanted. That was what was on his heart. And it seems as though as you read Nehemiah through this book, you realize Nehemiah must have been a guy of extreme confidence, It doesn't seem like at any point during this did he waver, except for the fact when he was going to stand before Artaxerxes, he said, God, be with me. But I'm convinced that all the way through this, that his relationship with God is so solid. And it's not that he didn't have doubts or issues or confrontations that came to him. It was the fact that he realized that his confidence did not lie in his own ability or in his own power. Nehemiah's confidence came because of his relationship with God. And there are a lot of us that waver in our confidence with regards to what's going on around us because we've said we can be self-sufficient or we can get something and go forward without really tapping into the confidence that we can have in God. Uh, John 15 reminds us that we should be connected to the vine. As a branch, we should be so connected that we get all our nutrition, all that what we need to produce fruit comes from our connection with Christ. And so I think Nehemiah was one of those guys that as he went through this as a prayer around that that time of being a cupbearer for the king, of moving over to Jerusalem and checking out the walls and understanding that this was a large, large task that they were going to undertake. And, and how you move forward with that and how you get people on board in such a short amount of time was just incredible. It's because God was working in the lives of those people. I mean, it's not that they had it all figured out, but Nehemiah was that spokesperson who did that and then eventually became appointed as governor for the area. And so in Nehemiah 6, we're going to read about a confidence that he shares with those that are trying to push in on him. They're trying to put some pressure on, on his life and his leadership, and it was it's an interesting passage. I was doing some reading in this because thinking about just Nehemiah's confidence and the whole idea of um, maybe placing our confidence in the wrong spot, um, some misplaced confidence. And so I, I began to look back and and there's some corporate stories of that. Uh, Circuit City is one. and how many of you remember Circuit City? yeah. I, I If I'm not mistaken, there's a building that used to be a Circuit City fairly close to here. And you can go around and you can find those buildings, and they've got other things in them at this point. But between 1982 and 1999, Circuit Circuit City outperformed in stocks, their returns outperformed Walmart, Intel, GE, and Coca Cola. They were running neck and neck with Best Buy. Best Buy, and look who's around. Best Buy is everywhere. TV commercials all the time. You never see anything from Circuit City. Circuit City filed bankruptcy in in 2009 and they drifted away from what their mission had been. They drifted away from what the corporate idea that they had been a proponent of and they walked away from it and started doing other things as opposed to Best Buy and some of the others. And we could put them up against... Uh, another story like Toys R Us and say, what happened there? And you, you know that. that. That's the most recent corporate failure in America that seemed to be all about success. I mean, they had a draft that everybody related to. When you walked in their store, it was like walking into a local Disney place because when you walked in, everything was bright, new, clean, loud, and the whole bit. When you walked in, you said, man, this is awesome. This is great. I, don't, I want to be a kid. Remember how that went? I don't want to grow up. I just want to be a kid in this spot. And I want to play with all these things in the aisles. And yet their, their downfall was the fact that they got away from their mission. What they did is they stopped having that, that fantasy entrance that you had at Toys R Us. And they walked away from some great service. And they started thinking that they didn't have to do anything more. They could just exist. And people would come to buy things from them. And then you have the advent of Amazon and all these other places that you could go to to get the same thing you could get at Toys R Us. Why would I go to a store that no longer has this, has this wonderful entry and this great service? Why would I bother? And so they, they walked away from what they were called to do. They began to place their confidence in things that weren't good places to place confidence. It was misplaced. And all of us would like to be 100% sure all the time of the things that we do. The things that happen in our life, whether it's decisions or or risks or jobs, any circumstance, anything we go through, But the bad news for us is that we can't be sure 100% of the time. So how did Nehemiah do it? How did Nehemiah navigate this in his life? Our humanity puts puts us at a distinct disadvantage. Because we're not God. In fact, we could even go through that, that whole idea of follow your heart or trust your heart. But Scripture says that that may be a misplaced confidence as well. I mean, here's what it says. In, in Jeremiah 17, 9, it says that our hearts are deceitful. In, in Genesis 8, 21, says that the intent of man's heart is evil. And so we say, well, I'm going to trust my heart. Well, how can you possibly trust something that is deceitful or, or intends toward evil or drifts toward evil? We can't trust our own selves. And, and essentially it's because when we look at ourselves and we are sinful, we tend to justify the things that we want to happen. Do you do that? I know I, know I do. I look at a circumstance and say, I can eat this hamburger. It's not going to hurt me because it's just one. I could be on a diet and blow it in 10 minutes. It's just one. It happens to be a triple with extra cheese and all the other stuff, but it's just one. I've seen you at a hamburger. So, so we can become self-confident and misplace our confidence. We start relying on ourselves and doing things that would not be biblical. They, they would not fall into that category of following God. The good news for us, although the bad news is our hearts are evil, and we can't trust even ourselves. The good news is that we have a savior that we can trust. We can place our ultimate confidence in who he is. We can have an assurance because of his word and because of his holiness. That's where our assurance lies. That's where our confidence lies. And so Nehemiah 6, you have this, this scenario where Nehemiah is still getting pressed. Nehemiah 6, starting at verse 1, says, Now when it was reported to Sambal, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, and to the rest of the enemies that I had rebuilt the wall, and it's not just him, so you will catch that a little bit, but he is the spokesperson, that I had rebuilt the wall, and that no breach remained in it, although at that time I had not set up the doors in the gates, then Sambal and Geshem sent a message to me saying, Come, let us meet together at Chepharim, in the plain of Ono, but they were planning to harm me. So Nehemiah gets this message, come and meet with us. We would like to discuss some things with you. It's just going to be a nice sit-down meeting. Maybe have some tea or some coffee, and we're just going to discuss what's happening over there and this whole rebuilding the wall thing. But Nehemiah understood what was happening. He says, but they were planning to harm me. So in verse 3, it says, So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? So basically he says, I'm in the middle of something too important to walk away from. I'm in the middle of something that God has called me to do. And there's no reason for me to depart and come down to you to negotiate something that is non negotiable. He said, So I sent messengers. Nehemiah sends messengers. I'm doing a great work, cannot come down. And verse four, it says, They sent messages to me four times in this manner, and I answered them the same way. Then Sanballat sent his servant to me in the same manner a fifth time with an open letter in his hand. He's just carrying the letter. Say, so Here it is. Here's another message for you. And in it was written It is reported among the nations that Gashmu says that you and the Jews are planning to rebel, therefore, you are rebuilding the wall. And you are to be their king according to these reports. You have also appointed prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you a king is in Judah. And now it will be reported to the king according to these reports. So they're going to take this report. And I'm telling you, I'm going to take this report and we're going to take it back to the one who can take you down. So come now, let us counsel together. So you really need to come off the wall and come down and talk with us. Then I sent a message to him saying, such things as you are saying have not been done, but you are inventing them in your own mind. Making them up. For all of them were trying to frighten us, thinking they will become discouraged with the work and it will not be done. But now, oh God, strengthen my hands. In this passage, Nehemiah has to come to grips with the pressures that are put on him because those around Nehemiah don't want the wall. And the gates to be reestablished. It really has nothing to do about with Nehemiah's wanting to rebel against the king. It is Nehemiah wanting to do what God has called him to do and in making those around the, the area of Jerusalem, making them uncomfortable. So, first thing we've got to understand is to, and know is that is we need to know the source of our confidence. We've got to know the source of our confidence. And there are confidence hijackers that come into our life. We can say, God, I want to trust you with all that I am. But there are things that push in on us that make us move just to the left or to the right of where we should be in our relationship with God. The first one is fatigue. I'm too tired to pray. And I want to tell you to remain diligent. I realize that we get tired, fatigued. But we have to remain diligent in pursuing God and His holiness. The second thing that can come into our life, that can press in on us, a, a hijacker, is falsehood. If you look at this, and we'll go back to it in just a moment, but they were at, they're were accusations that divert your attention from what God wants you to do. You're guilty of this. I'm not. But you've got my attention. And so I can no longer pursue what God wants me to pursue. Falsehood is another one of those hijackers. Fear is the last one we're going to talk about very briefly. Fear, and it could be in this I'm just afraid to pursue this, or we may have the fear of what others will think. If I do this, what will people think around me? If I share my testimony at the job, What will the perception be with those those other employees that have no clue about what a relationship with God is about? What will they think about me? If I start going to church, but my friends do something else on Sunday, but I feel a commitment to go to church, what will they think when I go to church instead of going wherever they want to go? We worry about what other people think, probably more than we ought. And that can hijack our confidence in God. And so we ought to place our confidence in God as our source, in Him alone. And we do that by four four ways. First thing is by praying. By praying. 1 John 3 21 through 22 says this Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And that whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do the things. That are pleasing in his sight. Do you realize what's at your disposal as somebody who's given their life to Christ? We can go before God in the confidence of knowing that our sin has been taken away. And so, our ability to go before a holy God that can't be in the presence of sin is a tremendous privilege for us. And so, the first thing we do is we pray. We saw that in the very beginning first chapter of nehemiah that nehemiah when he heard he went and prayed and so we have to be people of prayer the second thing is we have to acknowledge god's power acknowledge his power job realized a little bit of this and here's what it says in job 38 2 through 7 says who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge Now gird up your loins like a man. So God's talking to Job and he says, gird up your loins like a man. Get ready, Job. Just go ahead and get your footing. Maybe you've been in a place where you've been around somebody and you you push them a little bit and they lose their footing. And you say, get ready. And you get in that stance like this. So go ahead and push. I can handle it. Go ahead and push. And what God is saying is, go ahead, get your stance, Job. Because here it comes. And I will ask you, and you instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements since you seem to know? Or who has stretched a line on it and where its base is sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. He's basically saying, where were you when everything around you was established? How big are you compared to God? And then in verses 12 and 13, it says, have you ever in your life commanded the morning? No. And caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the ends of the earth. You just picture that. God in control of the sun rising. Every time the sun Crest at the horizon and things become bright is because God is in control. Your breath and what you have today is only existent because God is in control and allows that to take place in your life. So we can have confidence in God in His power. We can also realize His presence. Hebrews 4.13 says, and there is no creature hidden from His sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of Him who whom we have to do, and so God is present. God is present all the time, and we have to realize His presence and practice His presence. So we pray to an all-powerful God. We pray to an all-present God, and then the third, the last thing, the fourth thing is that we need to rest in His plan rest in his plan. 2 Timothy 1:12 says, "For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him against that day." And when when Paul writes this to young Timothy, he's saying that although the circumstances around you may be very difficult, understand that God can be trusted. And where you've trusted Him for your salvation, you can trust Him in every other circumstance of your life. Because you've placed your, your life in His hands, and He is in control. So there's no reason to panic if you're in Christ. True panic comes from those that are outside of Christ that realize that judgment comes, and I don't have provision for that. So Paul tells Timothy, And Paul declares, I'm not ashamed, but I know in whom I have believed. You know, confidence in God. So rest in his plan, knowing that God is in control. So we need to know the source of our confidence. The second thing is we need to know the significance of our mission. Nehemiah understood that. It's verse verse 3. It says, I am doing a great work. Whose work? God's work. I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should I stop and leave and come down to you? Why should I walk away from the work God has called me to? There were four requests to leave the work. It wasn't that those around him weren't persistent. Because they were. And even in verses 6 and 7, you have the influence of they. And you've been around places where they said, right? Hey, they said you ought to do this. Or they said, here's what's happening. The influence of they is tremendous. We just don't have the names to go with they most of the time. But they can direct us in a way that's not godly. Verses 6 and 7 basically says they wrote a letter, and we're going to take it to the king. This is what was going around, that you are establishing your own kingdom, Nehemiah. You want to be king of Judah. He's saying what you understand has been an invention of your own mind. It's not true. And they kind of statements, they said this or they did this or they are telling me this about what's going on, can suck the energy out of a task that God has called you to. can suck the very life out of it. Inventing in them in your own mind or contrive or making up a story to discredit. And it's essentially... What they're conv- trying to convince Nehemiah, Nehemiah is that there is a shortcut in, to getting around what you want to accomplish. The motive for them was to actually destroy Nehemiah. So they wanted him to come down and negotiate, and he said no. It says that I might become frightened. In verse 13, it says... He was hired for this reason, and this is the whole idea of what is being shared, that you're going to establish something that's not real. He was hired for this reason, that I might become frightened and act accordingly and sin, so that they might have an evil report in order that they could reproach me. So Nehemiah is like, they're after me, and I understand that they're after me. That I might become frightened or have fear that I would have one of those things that that will derail me. And act accordingly in sin. What, well, what is the sin? What is the sin that Nehemiah is worried about happening if he goes this other direction? I think it's the sin of walking away from what God has called him to do. Failure to do what God is calling you to do or not completing the responsibility for which you were tasked is sin. If you have committed to God, it is yours to take on. And I realized that sometimes we walk away from stuff and we say, I'm so tired or I'm, I'm fatigued and I don't want to do this anymore. Or it is somebody else's responsibility to step into that. I've done my time. Nehemiah could have said that. It's not like the stuff that he's been doing has been inconsequential or trivial. At this point, we are several. we are days and days and weeks into this process of rebuilding the wall and certainly Nehemiah is tired. There's a physical labor that came with rebuilding that wall. They could have, could have cut the rug out from underneath Nehemiah's life. Yet he realizes what they're up to. He says, so that they might have an evil report in order that they could reproach me or discredit or circumvent. It's interesting that Nehemiah understood that. And in verse 9 is that that gem in the middle of this that he prays to not just withstand the four or five attempts to get him off the wall or the rumors that are going and surrounding him, but he prays this. He says, but now, O God, strengthen my hands. Essentially, he's saying, give me resolve to do what you've called me to do, and don't let me walk away from it. There are times when walking away from any ministry, not just pastoring, but there are times when walking away from any ministry looks better than staying in a ministry if it's difficult. And we have to have the perseverance to stay with it. I wrestle with it. And if God's called you to a particular place of ministry, there's a really good chance that you've wrestled with that at some point. When you have a class that you're preparing for 15 and one person shows up or nobody shows up, and, you, and that happens a couple of times, and you're like, why bother? Why should I do this? And in the midst of rebuilding the wall, there was, there was a push back on Nehemiah to not do it. You remember the nobles from the very beginning of that group of people that, were, that ended up rebuilding two sections of the wall? The Techoites, you remember them? The nobles did not want to participate. They stood back and they watched while that group of people built one section and said, hey, we're done here. Is there anything else we can do? And they moved over to another section of the wall and completed it as well. It never said that the nobles jumped in on the second set either. They stood back and watched. We have to have ultimate confidence in who God is and ask God to strengthen us to pursue what he has called us to do. And so what has he called us to do? Our mission as individuals and as a church is to develop authentic followers of Christ. We individually need to grow in our authentic relationship with him to be followers chasing after God. And corporately, we need to be a church that chases after God. Our mission as a church is a calling. It's a calling. It's... It's very simple. Um, John Fonville said this, there is nothing more notable or glorious in the church than the ministry of the gospel gospel, because no other ministry exalts the glory of God as the gospel. So our job is to not just live out the gospel, but take the gospel. We got to be carriers, ambassadors. We are light bearers. We are truth carriers. We are love magnifiers. If there's anybody that ought to love people unconditionally, it ought to be us. The church should never be known for its hatred. The church should be known for its love. And when the church is known by its hatred, it just gives us that much more incentive to step outside the box to do something that nobody expects us to do. We ought to be light bearers and taking truth and taking it with the amount of grace that God has bestowed on us. We have confidence in God and understand that our mission is significant. God has chosen us to be his hands, his feet, ambassadors, representatives, so that everybody hears the good news of the gospel. That Jesus came, he lived a sinless life, he went to a cross that he didn't necessarily desire, but he was put on the cross and he went there willingly. Took on our sin, became sin for us. That we could become the righteousness of him. That we could stand before a holy God with confidence. And he came out of the grave to prove that there was a living hope. Alive and worthy of all worship and praise. Ephesians 1.3 says this about us. As those who have trusted Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us with one or two spiritual blessings. Is that what it says? No. In case you're, you're not sure about that. Ephesians 1.3 says this, He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. You say, oh, I don't feel very blessed by God. God has blessed you immensely. God has blessed you with everything that you need. It doesn't discount life that happens around you. But God has blessed you with everything that you need to go through it, to trudge through it, and to jump through it. And He's promised He wouldn't abandon us. But everything that we need is wrapped up in Christ. So, what needs to be accomplished? For for our congregation, for this church family, what is our wall? Nehemiah's wall was completed. It says in verse 15, so the wall was completed on the 25th day of the month of Elu in 52 days. 52 days. And then it says, when all our enemies heard of it and all the nations surrounding us saw it, they lost their confidence. Were we talking about confidence a minute ago? They lost their confidence. So they had recognized that this, this work had been done, had been accomplished with the help of our God. Fifty-two days. What happens in fifty-two days from today? Anybody know? There ought to be a couple of you that know. Jason knows. Does anybody else know what happens in fifty-two days? You guys know, huh? What? School? No. No, that probably comes earlier. Um, I'm sorry. 52 days from today is the first Wednesday night of September. 52 days from today, if everybody does and pitches in, then the youth, youth room, the student ministry room down on the lower building is done. 52 days from now that all the children's and preschool work gets cranked up. Some new Wednesday discipleship things are happening. All that in 52 days from today. So what has God called us to accomplish? He's called us to accomplish a lot because even in the midst of all that, He's called us to accomplish things in missions. It's going to be West Virginia. It's going to be be the church in August and beyond. It's gonna be stuff in Canada or Guatemala. God's gonna take us places and do things through this congregation as we submit to Him. And we look and say, Nehemiah, that was 52 days of rebuilding a wall. You think how hard it is to build a wall like he was trying to build in 52 days? 52 days for the wall all the way around Jerusalem looks incredibly more difficult than renovating a couple of rooms in another building. A lot more difficult. Yet God's called us to do something like that and to do the work that we need to do here so that we can reach a community with the gospel that has not been reached, that lives in darkness and has no idea what it is to follow Christ. So God has called us to do that. They recognize, the people recognize that the work had been done and accomplished through God. My desire is that we see God at work here, but that the community around us also sees God at work here. And maybe it's that the community around us loses confidence, I don't know about that. But for them to see God at work here, that is incredible. That's worth living out what God has called us to do. See, we have an opportunity before us to trust Him. And so here's the invitation. Is there a possibility that you've been trusting in the wrong thing? Is there a possibility of that? Um, Example, self, money, your ability, a misplaced confidence. I want to tell you, if you've been trusting in that, you have no relationship with Christ, it is time for a change. It is time to leave that which you are trusting at this point and saying, God, you are ultimately worthy and powerful and present around. I need to trust you for my salvation. I need to trust you with my life. So I want to surrender my life to you. And, And the good news is that when you are coming to Christ, That you don't have to be cleaned up, fixed up, or or all together before you come to Him. That He accepts you just the way you are. There's no staging required like getting a house ready. You don't have to have it all figured out and together to accept Christ as your Savior. You come to Him and say, God, I'm just here. And I want to trust you with my life. And allow God to do that work in you. Allow God to do what He is best at. Receive him and his forgiveness and his love. That vibrant relationship with him as your guide, your boss, and your friend. Second part of this is Do you need to refresh your confidence with God. Yeah, there are some that have accepted Christ and have no confidence that God is at work around them. And it may be that you don't have no confidence. It's just that you've started to slide your confidence in another direction because of what they say, some fear or something that has pressed in on you that has made it difficult to live out the confidences in Christ. And today you need to remember to pray, to remember God's power, His presence, and to rest in who He is and that He has a plan. Confess to Him your need to live in the confidence that came with your salvation and allow him continued work in your life. So some of you will need to come to this altar. Some of you need to come and say, God, I want to renew my confidence in you moving forward. And some of you will need to come to Christ for the first time this morning. So let's pray. And as God leads you, be open and obedient to what he has and what he's asked you to do. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the testimony of Nehemiah who seemed to have such great confidence. And God, we would all want to be like a Nehemiah that say, I am not pushed away from what You have called me to, but I want to be right in the middle of that. And when, with strength, I want to live out my life so that the people that I'm around on a day-to-day basis, not just a Sunday Wednesday or just a Sunday, that not just those folks, but I want folks to see me at any place I go and anywhere anywhere I go and any people that I'm around to see who you are through me. And so, God, I pray that as we may have that desire that we would be obedient and just come and confess that we need you. Just come and confess that you are the one that provides for us. And so God, I pray that you would help us to be obedient during this time of commitment and invitation. That you would receive glory, the glory and the worship that you are worthy of. And so God, do that in this place right now. God, we pray in the strong name of Christ, in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? And as we sing, would you be obedient to him? And do what God's called you to do. Do not shy away, not hold on to a pew. But say, "God, I am all in." And I want to have confidence in who you are. Come now sadness, from wherever you've been. Come broken hearted. The invitation of God is not something that's contained in a room. And so the invitation to trust Him and have ultimate confidence in God and not ourselves is something that's lived out on a day-to-day basis, maybe hour-to-hour. And so church, I'm looking forward to what God's going to do through you this week as you trust Him with all that you are and you are completely surrendered to him to do exactly what he's called you to do. Nobody is immune. But there's great, a great price, a great thing at stake when we, the church, do what we're called to do. And so guys, be the church this week. Thank you for listening to this audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church. We welcome you to join us next Sunday at 1030 a.m., our weekly worship service. If you have found this resource helpful, please do share it with others and check out our other ministries at ebcconnect.org.